Welcome. We are we are going to be studying in uh, we are in Genesis chapter twenty six. Genesis chapter twenty six, and we are already covered through verse five last week, and starting in verse six of Genesis chapter twenty six. So Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, "She's my sister." For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. And it came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, certainly she's your wife. How then did you say, she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech said, What is this that you've done? One of the people might have easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Okay, so in verse 6 it says, Isaac lived in Gerar. So remember, we we talked about this last time because it says the same thing in verse 1. There was a famine in the land. God told him, Don't leave this land. Don't go to Egypt like your father Abraham did. You stay in this land. And he did. So Gerar... Is, is, is very much in the land. Um, so he was probably in this area, um, Beersheba. Gerar is just off the edge of this map, right about here, just below Gaza there. And it's right by the water. But it's still within this, this land of Canaan, and he didn't leave the land. So he's in that land. And it says in verse 7, When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking that the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. So this man had a really beautiful wife, Rebekah, and he was afraid that if, if, um, uh, that, that, that if he said, she's my wife, that someone would, would kill him and try to take her. Now, we know that... that um, Isaac was 75 years old when his father Abraham died, so he's at least 75. We don't know how much older than this, but he's at least 75. His wife may be 20 years younger than than him uh, because he was 40 when he got married. I mean, she may have been 20, she may have been, so so he may have been 25 years younger than him, but not more than that. And, uh, but this same thing, remember, happened to Abraham. And Abraham 
said the same thing to Pharaoh. Abraham said the same thing to Abimelech of Gerar. But the, the, the Abimelech that Abraham was speaking to was a different Abimelech. Abimelech is a title, very much like Pharaoh is a title for Egypt. And so Abimelech was a title. There's a, at least a 75-year gap, at least a 60 to 75-year gap. Probably, it's actually at least 75 years because Isaac was not born, had not been born yet when Abraham was in Gerar. So it's at least 75 years earlier. So this is a few Abimelechs down the, the hierarchy. And if you, if you look in, in, Exodus, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 20, in Genesis chapter 20, verse 13, Abraham says, And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is the kindness which you will show to me. Everywhere we go, say to me, He is my brother. So, say of me, He is my brother. So, Abraham, for 25 years, was living a lie, telling everybody that this was his sister when it was really his wife. It was actually his half-sister. Uh, uh, it was a different mother, same father. But in this case, it's a whole lie. This is not his sister at all. And he is saying something. So what you see is the, the, the fear of the father has been transferred to the son. The same fear that Abraham had, the son now has. The same fear. You know, this is quite telling. If I have a fear, if I don't trust God for something, will my children inherit that same fear? Will they inherit that? He has the same fear that his father had. And he committed the same sin that his father had committed in saying that she is my sister rather than confessing that she is my wife and trusting God with the fallout there. And so it's, it, says that, um, um, he, it, it says that he thought the men would kill him on account of Rebekah. So this is a serious thing. He really thought he was going to die. So he's not playing around here. He thought he was going to die. And this is why he was justifying living this lie. And verse 8, And it came about when he had been there a long time. We have no idea how long. If this was six months or if it was six years. We don't know how long. When he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. So again, using the term Philistines is speaking proleptically, meaning that the Philistines were later on to have that territory. But he says he saw Isaac. He must have known Isaac. Here's a foreigner. But Isaac was a pretty amazing guy. He had a lot of riches. And he sees the way he's interacting with his wife. It says he, he saw Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebecca. Actually, the term there, it's, it's very much like the name Isaac, which means he laughs. And, and if you were to speak of it, transliterate this exactly, it would be Isaac was Isaacing with his wife. And, and uh, this whole idea of laughing, it's a, it's a way that, that a husband and wife will joke together that a husband and sister would never do. And he saw through his window, he saw Isaac doing this, and he knew this is not his sister. This has got to be his wife. And immediately he calls Isaac and he says, Behold, certainly she's your wife. How then did you say she's my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. 
exactly what Abraham had said to maybe this Abimelech's grandfather or great-grandfather. Exactly the same thing. That same word was said. And, and uh, um, so Abimelech said, what is this that you've done? In verse 10, one of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So you see how unprotected an unmarried woman was. That someone would, would force themselves upon her if she was unmarried. And then he says, you would bring guilt upon us. He must have heard the word that came from his grandfather that the plagues that came upon Abimelech, the plagues that were going to... When God met with Abimelech and said, Abimelech, you are a dead man. To have defended and said, how could you have done this? I mean, you, you know what happened with your father. And look what you're doing to us because now Abimelech proclaims anyone who touches this man or this woman is going to die. I mean, that's a pretty harsh sentence. But he knew that he would bring plagues, plagues would come upon their people if they touched this woman. He is again being rebuked by an unbeliever, by someone who's not a Shemite, someone who's not of, of the patriarchs. Isaac the patriarch is being re, rebuked by someone who is outside the kingdom of Israel. And we'll come back to that. And, and then, so Abimelech charged the people in verse 11 saying, he who touches the man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. Isaac sowed in the land. So as he's in Gerar, he starts farming. They had never been farmers before. They had been herdsmen that migrated around with the flocks. They might set up in a city, but they were always herdsmen. So now he takes up farming. He just takes up farming and he plants and he gets a hundredfold return. That's amazing. Nobody gets that except congressmen and congresswomen who somehow, it's amazing how they're able to do that year after year. And, and, uh, uh, but the rest of us, we can't do that. I mean, that's not normal. And, and they're able to do it year after year. It's amazing how, how, how much insight they have when, when, they, when they become politicians. So, so they, they, get, they get a hundredfold. He gets a hundredfold. This is God's blessing. He sowed it and he got a hundredfold. What is it that you want to see? You know, so I saw this. I said, Lord, give me a hundredfold. Give me, give me a hundred converts this year. Give me a hundred people coming to Jesus this year. This is what I would love to see. I mean, if God can do this, and this is during a famine. Remember, there's a famine going on here. It's like in Psalm chapter 1. For those who love the Word of God, it tells us in Psalm chapter 1, you're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf will not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. So even during a famine, there can be prosperity among the believers of God. This is what's happening during a famine. And it says, and the Lord blessed him. Verse 13, and the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. And this word rich can become great. Can be great. This went beyond the inheritance that he had from his father. Remember, he had the whole inheritance from his father because his father had given gifts to the, to the five other sons and sent them away. This son got all the riches of Abraham, but now he's far exceeding Abraham in his wealth 
he becomes rich in Gerar as a foreigner during a famine. God is able to make you prosper even during a famine. He became rich. So this went way beyond his inheritance. Verse 14, For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. He had so much flocks and herds. We had already heard above that in farming he produced a hundredfold in a year. This is crazy big numbers. This is how how much the guy was, was getting here. And so... He he, uh, um, he he says of the Philistine. He says the Philistines envied him. So this foreigner comes in, and the Philistines start envying him. Now in verse fifteen, now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. So look what envy does. Envy doesn't just stop with this coveting, that this envy that I I, I want what another man has. It starts abusing the other person. When you start coveting, when we start having envy in our hearts and we let this thing propagate, it causes us to lash out at people because we don't want them to have that anymore. And, and it, it, you see the same sort of thing with the, with the Nazis and, and the Jews in Israel. They started envying their prosperity and so they, shut, they started throwing uh, 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 rocks through their, their store windows and and then they, they, it didn't stop there. It made them isolate them in ghettos. And it didn't stop there. It made them put them in concentration camps. It didn't stop there. They had to kill them. And that didn't even passivate the hatred. So envy is, is, is really an insidious thing. When we start desiring what somebody else has, it's deadly. It'll consume us. And this is why, why God speaks about coveting. And the New Testament even spe- also speaks about coveting. The New Testament even raises the bar. In the the Old Testament, it says we shall not covet. We shall not covet our our neighbor's flocks and herds and and his wife and and his house. But in the New Testament, it says if you covet, that's tantamount to idolatry. I mean, so it even raises the bar of the offense. uh, But you see, they stopped up the wells because they thought if we could stop up these wells, his flocks would die out. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. This guy was just exceedingly great. And it says, and Isaac departed from there, and he camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. So he left the city of Gerar. He moved down into the valley, which is actually a wadi. So where where water flows in the rainy seasons, it it, it forms this, this sort of trench it's this wadi, it's dry in the, in, in, in the non-rainy season. When the rainy season comes, it can fill up with, with water, like, like, sort of like a, a small stream. But, but he went and he settled there. But let's look, look back at this thing where he had said, where he lied about his wife. Why would a man do that? Well, he feared for his life. Now, the Bible tells us in, in Romans that, that, uh, um, that, that we should... We should um, we should not judge another because when we judge another, we, we ourselves practice the same thing. And we may say, well, I would never do that to my wife because what he was doing by lying about his wife, he was subjecting his wife to possibly being raped. That's exactly what Abimelech said. He said, when you do this, somebody might, might take hold of her and lay with her and, and then you bring guilt upon us as a nation. So there was a real fear there 
that something could come upon them. Let's look at some things that, that might bring fear in, into, into our lives. So look in, in, in this portion in, uh, in Mark chapter 8. Look in Mark chapter 8, and we'll read verse 35, and we'll read verse 38. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Jesus said in Mark 8, 35, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. So if I want to save my life, I'm going to lose it. But if I'm willing to lose my life, if I'm willing to suffer loss, even to the point of my life, for the sake of the Gospel, for the sake of the good news, I'm going to save my life. Verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So if we are ashamed of Jesus, it says that he will be ashamed of us when he comes in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. That's serious business. Jesus says that if we're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us. It says that if we try to save our life... So let me tell you, over the years I've I've told a lot of people about Jesus. Over the years, I've not told a lot of people about Jesus. I have never regretted telling people about Jesus. I've never regretted it. My greatest regrets in life are not speaking up about Jesus. That's my greatest regrets in life. My greatest regrets in life are not standing for the Lord, not speaking up for Him. That's my greatest regrets in life. There were times when I can remember, I, I can remember, I remember there was a discussion, I was visiting a university, I don't even remember which university it was, it was probably 25 years ago, and these professors over dinner started speaking, these two professors, I was visiting this university, and two professors took me out for dinner, which is customary when you come to give a lecture at a university, they take you out for dinner, and uh, they started speaking evil of Christians, and I didn't speak up. To this day, I remember that for not speaking up in defense of my Lord, not speaking up in defense of my people. To this day. There are many times that I've spoken up and I don't even remember all of those occasions because there's a lot of them. There's no regrets there. I remember not speaking up. If you don't speak up for the sake of the gospel, well, I don't want to share the gospel, you don't want to... You know, it could affect my career, it could affect my tenure, it could affect many things. Remember what the Bible says to you. This is not Jim Tour speaking to you. I'm not threatening you in any way. This is what Jesus said. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels would save it. So we might say, how dare you, Isaac? How dare you, Isaac, not speak up for your wife just so that you could protect yourself? He had a very real fear that he would be killed over this pretty woman. But the Bible says that, that uh, if we don't speak up about the gospel, we're going to lose our life. You know, that's, that's, that's more than a job. Let's look at Matthew chapter, chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. We'll start reading at verse 32. Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, 
I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. That's pretty strong words. Will I be ashamed of my Lord? Will I be ashamed of my Lord? Will I not speak up? Watchman Nee puts it this way, this great Christian uh, uh, scholar from, from China who spent about 25 years, the last 25 years of his life in a Chinese prison, finally died there. He said, if we don't speak up, if we don't speak up about the Lord, nobody will ever hold us accountable. But if we speak up, then our colleagues will hold us accountable. And they ought to. In other words, I am to live in a way that reflects the light of Christ to my colleagues at work. I am to live in such a manner. And when I speak up about the Lord, when I speak up about the Lord, now they know who I am and they will hold me accountable to that. And there's been several occasions where I've had to get together with my colleagues and I say, you know, the thing that I said at last week at the meeting, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. Please forgive me. And most of the time they're like, they don't even know what I'm talking about. You know, because it was, it was so innocuous compared to what they say that they don't even remember it. But it wasn't innocuous for me because the standards that Jesus sets for me are much higher than the standards that are set for people who are not in Christ. It's the same for you. We are to confess him. So when I was an assistant professor, I, I, my kids would draw me pictures about Jesus and stuff, and I'd put them up on my wall. I had little verses that were on my desk that, that uh, people had given me, and I'd, I'd stick them up there, and I'd put them up there so people would know immediately that I'm a Christian. I keep a Bible on my desk, right by the edge of my desk, and it says, Holy Bible. It's clear what it is. It's there. And there's, there's little verses on the side. And, and I want people to know that I'm a believer. This is important to me. Jesus said, if everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who's in heaven. Isaac feared for his life. What is it that you fear for? What is it that we fear for that we would not speak up about him? It's generally our reputation. What is it that we're afraid of being held accountable for something? We're afraid that people are going to know. And so, so I encourage you to let it be known in every place where you work, every place where you live, that you are a believer. I encourage you to do that. So people hold you accountable to standards that are elevated above the standards of the world. They will hold you accountable to this, and this is a good thing. Let your life be known. Let it be known so that you force yourself to live to a higher standard. This is something we have to do. Then he says in verse 34 of, of Matthew chapter 10, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You know, with, you know if I do that, you know, I'm going to have trouble. People are, Jesus said, Fine. I didn't come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword. I remember I had a believer once walk into my office and I said, somebody once said, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So who do you think said that? He said, uh, Muhammad. 
<laughs> and he said, no, that was actually Jesus said that. He says, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. For he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. I'm a living testimony of what God will do with a very average person. And I know you think, oh no, you know, you're so off scale. I never was off scale. I was never off scale in my whole life going through school. When I became a believer and I started letting out who I was, I just started excelling. At the age of 18 and I started letting it be known who I was, I just started excelling in my work, I started excelling in my career. God has a way of doing that. You try to save your life. I don't want to speak up. You know, it could upset me at work. Maybe, maybe when I get tenure, then I'll speak up. So then you get tenure seven years later. Well, maybe when I become a full professor, because I don't want it to, you know, slow me down from going from associate to full professor. And by that time, you're too old. I mean, all your muscles are gone. You, you don't know how to stand up to anything anymore. Because you're fearful and you're like, well, I haven't said anything for the last 14 years. How can I just speak up now that I've gotten ten tenure and become a full professor? How could I speak up now? That's the way you feel. You feel like a hypocrite because we are if we do that. We are. So it's better to speak up now. It's better to speak up immediately. It's better to speak up at this age and let, it, let the chips fall where they may. Jesus is very clear on this. The, the, the stand that we have to take. You say, well, you know, I want people to like me. Well, in James chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. James chapter 4, verse 4. It says, you adulteresses. Now, who speaks like that? Have you ever walked up to a group of people and said, you adulteresses? Not too many people speak like that, but James is an apostle. So he's allowed to speak like this. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be friends, to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. So this desire that I have to be liked by everybody is actually enmity with God. This desire that I have to be in everybody's favor is enmity with God. And in your generation the generation in which you're growing up into, it can be much harder than in my generation. And the reason for that is Twitter. The reason for that is the Internet. Because now people can hide behind their anonymity and say things that they would never normally say. And so people say things about other people. And so if you read things about people on the Internet, you want to think about that. If you let your life shine the way it's supposed to shine, people will say things about you, they will write things about you, and guess who sees it? All your colleagues, all your friends, and Jesus. And Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, that guy right there, he didn't deny me. Let me go and bless him. Let me go and bless him. He lost credibility with this group of people but I'm going to build up his credibility so high 
that nobody's going to be able to go toe-to-toe with him. Now, I don't know what the world has for you. you. It may be so hard on you that they end up, you know, killing you, all right? Well, then you'll be in the afterlife, in heaven. You'll be blessed. There is a blessing. I don't know what he has for you. But if you try to live your life as friends with the world, you're going to be an enemy with God. It is so easy to look at the life of Abraham, to look at the life of Isaac, and to think that, boy, I would never do that to my wife. I'd never risk that. Well, this man was in fear for his life. Generally, when I speak up about Jesus, I have never been in fear of my life. Never. I've never been in fear of my life when I've spoken up about Jesus. I've been in fear of getting my feelings hurt. I've been in fear of maybe being ostracized from, my, from people, maybe not receiving some award in chemistry because people start looking at me differently now. But I've never been in fear for my life. So generally, we're not in fear for our lives, at least at this moment in history in the United States. Now, you go to other countries, and that's going to change. But for right now, think about it. What is the worst thing that can happen for taking a stand for Jesus? Oh, people look at me differently. Okay, let them look at you differently. And so this is what we're talking about. This is, this is the beautiful thing about Jesus, that we make a stand for Jesus. We stand for him. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you this day to come to know him. Jesus has died for you. He's given his life for you. He's come on this earth to intercede for you and to love you and to have a relationship with you. He is calling you. There are a group of people in the world that the Bible refers to them in two different ways depending on what translation you read. Sometimes some translations call them the chosen. Other other translations call them the elect. You cannot get away from this. It is used so many times you can't write this thing off. There are people that God has so designated that you are to be saved. And I assure you, if you are here, you are among that group. Because you would not be here. The people who are not among the elect, they have no regard for the Bible. They would not waste a Sunday morning, quote-unquote waste, in sitting in a Bible study. So if you don't know the Lord, I urge you to know the Lord today. We're going to have a lunch after this, and I ask you to join us for this lunch. And I will sit with you personally, and I will tell you my story about Jesus. Please let me do that. Let me do that with you this day. That's so important. And if you know the Lord, if you know the Lord, I urge you to do as it says here to let your testimony about Jesus shine, to not put so much stock in the friends of the world. And you say, well, you know, I, I have friends of the world. That's fine. But do you love them more than you love God? Because it's very specific. He, he says, you adulteresses. You know, that's not a good word to be called. Did you know that? You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? It's hostile toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. If our desire is to be a friend of the world, we're an enemy with God. I urge you to take a stand for Jesus. I urge you to stand for Him, to make a decision this day to stand for Him. So easy to look back 
at Isaac and say, how could you have done that to your wife? And God says, how could you do it to me? My greatest regrets in life are having not spoken up. You know, it's only in the last few years that I've been all the more bold in speaking up. I've always spoken about Jesus, but I'm, I'm now like in your face with Jesus. So much so, and I'm seeing so many more people come to the Lord. And I cringe at all the people over the years that if I had just been in their face, they would have come to Jesus. Really. My greatest regrets are that I didn't speak up more. Let that be a sign for you. Let that be something for you. Your greatest regrets in life are that you, did, is that you didn't speak up. And don't let it be said of us when Jesus comes that he's ashamed of us. Jesus said, I will be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my Father and his angels. And he said, if you are ashamed of me or if you are ashamed of the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, you have a mission to speak of Jesus Christ. That's your mission. You're not an evangelist. I understand. I'm not an evangelist either. You say, oh, no, you no, I'm not. I am a chemist. I have even a card in my pocket that says, you are a chemist. Gym tour chemist. That's what I am. It's not gym tour evangelist. I'm a chemist. The call on my life to speak about Jesus is the same as the call on your life. I don't want Jesus to be ashamed of me. I don't want him to be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is true and right and holy. And Lord, I pray for the unbelievers who are here this day that many would be saved. Father, please grant us salvations today. Grant us salvations. And Father, to the believers who are here, I pray, Lord, that you would make them more bold to put up signs in, in, in their verses in their, in their room to, to let people know that they are believers, not to be ashamed of the gospel. Father, I pray that you'd cause them to speak up more about Jesus, to testify of his goodness. Lord, so many of them have hearts of compassion for the lost. Father, I pray that they would speak up. I pray, Lord, that they would put being friends with you far ahead of trying to be friends with the world. And Father, that they would see those hundredfold blessings, those hundredfold blessings by the grace and the mercies of God. In Jesus' name, amen.